The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. The lost summer of 2020, August is upon us. You know, a few years ago, in my darkest thoughts, I used to worry that we were headed towards civil war. Now, in my darkest thoughts, I worry that we're not headed towards civil war, that we're just going to put up with the accelerating incremental construction of the bars of our prison cell. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of movement, freedom of association, all in severe retreat. You can't build a border wall and get Mexico to pay for it, so instead they've built a wall around you and you're going to pay for it. Ooh, Twitter accidentally flagged and removed a tweet by Tim Tebow about his Christian faith. Ooh, YouTube accidentally removed a fine fact-based speech by Heather MacDonald on the police because it breached their community standards. Ooh, Google accidentally removed Stein Online, The Daily Caller, Breitbart, and The Usual Suspects from its search engine entirely. Oh, but just for a few hours, so that's okay. Nobody knows what's going to happen on November the 3rd. But one thing can be said for certain, that on November the 3rd, we won't know what's happened on November the 3rd, because unlike functioning societies where around 10pm on election night you know who's won, on this November election night there's going to be more voter fraud than ever before in America, which is saying something. 812 16 years ago, my regular line to Hugh Hewitt was that when Republicans win, they have to win beyond the margin of lawyer. Because the minute the monkey business starts, the Democrats have it in the bag. They're just better at it. Ooh, count every vote, including these ones I found in a box in the parking lot. Give it another couple of minutes. The ink's not dry yet. Republicans have to win beyond the margin of lawyer. That's to say they have to win big. And yet that is another thing we know will not happen on November the 3rd. So in the event that Trump ekes out a second victory, it will be greeted by massive violence from the shock troops of non-procreative moms and psycho trannies currently trashing Portland. I am a woman. Get these men off me. That's the transgender athlete Juniper Leona Simonis resisting arrest in Portland on Thursday. Seems like a nice girl. She's a two-time ladies' world champion. Um, what, what sport is that? Oh, women's flat track derby racing. Roller derby. Uh, roller derby? I think the winner of the roller derby goes into the playoffs against the winner of the roller derby. Anyway, they were going to charge her with assaulting a police officer and vandalising government property, but instead, oh, go on, take a wild guess. Yes, they just let her go. Maybe the women's flat track will give her another championship just for fighting off ten coppers. She has tattooed on her impressive upper thighs the words, These gams kill fascists. 
these gams on the right thigh kill fascists on the left. I'm not going to mess with that, are you? I'm trans woman, hear me roar. I am a woman! That's for sure, I am strong. Strong! I am invincible. In related news, the principal railway station in Edinburgh, Scotland's capital, Waverley Station, has removed a large advertising billboard with the words I heart JK Rowling because it is, quote, likely to cause offence. What are the bookies offering? And how long till every copy of Harry Potter is pulped? The news cycle is almost too stupid at the moment. But it is also tragic. Once upon a time, there was a businessman with no political experience who decided to run for the highest office in the land with a bold and distinctive plan for immigration enforcement. We've got to secure the border. I had a call one night called in, Mr. Haynes, you, you conservatives ought to stop this talk about a, a, a building a fence. I said, why? You know that is impractical? Oh, really? I think I had just got back from China and I went to the great wall of China. <laughs> they built a wall. I think with today's technology, we could build a fence. I think we should have gone for the moat with alligators. On Thursday, that engaging and spirited man, Herman Cain, became the first American presidential candidate to die of COVID-19. Let me begin by expressing our sadness at the passing of a wonderful man and a dear friend of mine, Herman Cain. He was a very special person. I got to know him very well. And unfortunately, he passed away from a thing called the China virus. Hmm. Under the social media announcements of his death, there were a bazillion tweets from lefties hooting and jeering that Herman Cain died because he went to Trump's rally in Tulsa just a month ago and caught the COVID. We don't actually know that for a fact, but it is certainly possible a lot of other people around Trump picked up the virus in Tulsa, and as a survivor of stage four cancer, uh, Mr. Kane uh, certainly had cause to be 
rather more prudent than in fact he was. But as I said, we don't actually know that he got it in Tulsa, um, but it's possible. And in that sense, there's more of a basis to it than, say, the Russia investigation. And after all these rather cruel and heartless tweets, conservatives responded by saying, please, a man is dead. Where's your heart? Where's your compassion? This is no time to be making some poor taste connection between Herman Cain's demise and his presence at the Trump rally or his tweets enthusing that there'd be no masks at the next rally, uh, which did not take place. OK, OK, here's another conservative who's dead of the COVID. The successful businessman who founded the current big conservative youth group. Bill Montgomery, who's a co-founder of the pro-Trump right-wing conspiracy theory group known as Turning Point USA, has died of coronavirus. Uh, Montgomery, who started uh, Turning Point USA in 2012 with young conservative Charlie Kirk, died at the age of 80 on Tuesday. What was the first thing Charlie Kirk did upon hearing of his great patron's tragic death? He deleted Turning Point USA's tweet from earlier that very day, mocking paranoid mask-wearing pandemic ninnies uh, with an amusing picture of Nicolas Cage. So he didn't even wait for the tweeters to make the connection between his boss's death and all the COVID scoffing. He made it himself and acted. Conservatives are right. Herman Cain's death isn't funny. Bill Montgomery's death isn't funny. But in that case, why are the other 673,221 deaths uh, as I speak, it'll be more by the time you hear this. Why are the other 673,221 uh, deaths around the world funny? Or at any rate, not serious? Oh, for Pete's sake, Stein, are you just some liberal, panty-waist, fabulous Nancy boy? Only 150,000 Americans have died. That's less than the number of people who are killed trying to pull down a statue of Jefferson Davis and failing to get out of the way in time. Two points. First, here's what I said on this show four months ago on Good Friday. Quote from me, let's quarantine China, not your Auntie Mabel. I'm not a consultant. I'm not a uh, big uh, political grifter uh, making a ton of money by advising doomed Republican campaigns. But there's the nub of a campaign theme in that because it ties together real, actual, dead Americans with the biggest geopolitical challenge of our time. The sort of thing it's hard to get voters interested in. But if you can't get them interested in it when they're killing people, when they're killing your fellow Americans, when they're killing 155,000 Americans, and uh, poor old Osama bin Laden on 9-11 could only kill 3,000. If you can't get people interested in it when they're actually killing huge numbers of people, when can you? That's the nub of it. 155,000 Americans have been killed by a foreign adversary. China lied, people died. China closed Wuhan to domestic flights to flights elsewhere in China, but kept the International Departures Lounge open so Wuhan's finest uh, could fly it to Vancouver and Seattle and Turin and Madrid and Rio. China then imported all the personal protective equipment that actually works and exported all the cheap crap that doesn't work to Britain, Canada, Australia, Europe. China, 
just killed an American presidential candidate. China just killed a big American conservative money bags. And the best you can do is Fauci shtick and mask gags. I quite like scoffing and I'm quite heartless too. So in the right circumstances, I'd scoff at a mere 155,000 corpses too. But there's a difference between 150,000 Americans dead of a random flu, something in the air, or 150,000 Americans getting totaled by a hurricane or a tsunami, and 150,000 Americans dead because China lied and lied and lied until this thing was in every old folks' home across the Western world. Ah, Stein, who cares about grannies? We're going to die anyway. OK, screw granny. Although she provides the Republican margin of victory in almost every so-called red state, it's your right to say, I never liked Granny anyway, I don't care if she buys the farm. But when Chairman Xi decides he doesn't like your Granny and to assist her in buying the farm, that's an act of war. And it requires more than an amusing photo of Nicolas Cage. Do you think the Democrats... The Democrat. Remember the Democrats? Remember Joe Biden, your opponent? Do you think the Democrats, whose presidential candidate flew his crackhead son on Air Force Two, which shouldn't exist, shouldn't be a thing, flew his crackhead son on Air Force Two to do a billion-dollar deal with the guys who killed Herman Cain, do you think the Democrats are anxious to talk China? Here's what happens when they do. California Senator for Life, Dianne Feinstein, just this week. We hold China as a potential trading partner, as a, a country that has pulled millions of, tens of millions of people out of poverty in a short period of time, and as a country growing into a respectable nation among other nations. And I deeply believe that. I've been to China a number of times. I'm sure you have, Madam Senator, but what the hell are you talking about? China is a potential trading partner? China already makes everything. There's nothing left for it to make. It makes your BVDs, it makes your prescription pills, it makes your cell phone, it makes your 5G technology. Oh, but, but, but it's pulled tens of millions of people out of poverty. Yeah. Yeah, by ending the possibility of the American dream for tens of millions of your own people uh, now living in dead communities, face down in the meth lab, because China has all the real jobs and we're left with the crappy low-wage service jobs like waitressing, most of which have been kiboshed by the COVID. Oh, oh, and China's a respectable nation? It kills more people than any other government on the planet. And the one group of Chinese who were reasonably safe from its attentions, the brave people of Hong Kong, are now suddenly in the crosshairs because China just tore up an international treaty. Diane Feinstein, the sound of a wholly owned subsidiary of the Chinese Politburo. What else is China up to? Out of this story, mysterious packets of seeds that appear to come from China have now popped up in mailboxes in all 50 states. Officials are scrambling to figure out if it's just a scam or if they're intended to be seeds of destruction. Here's CBS's Janet Shamlian. Victoria Dagon and husband John were surprised by a small package postmarked from China in their mailbox near Houston. I was immediately suspicious. It was not a 
question. It was not a doubt. Inside, four small bags of seeds. She's a gardener, but never orders from China. It is very frustrating because we can no longer trust what comes in our mail. Unsolicited packages, most believed from China, are landing in thousands of mailboxes across the country. Seeds of destruction. In all 50 states, plus Canada, the UK, Australia. Oh, 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 don't worry. If they do, even if they do kill you, it's probably just an accident from the Wuhan flower market. And if Trump has to start doing press conferences with the guys from the Department of Agriculture every night, warning you not to go into your garden without wearing a hazmat suit, we can all start scoffing at that too. Maybe there's a, an amusing Nicolas Cage picture. China snaffled the world out from under us while we were talking about trivia. But here's the second point. The whole, the whole braggadocio real men scoff at COVID shtick exemplified uh, by that Nicolas Cage joke, is a loser politically. I said the other day that most people are not very numerate. Why would you be surprised? You've seen the blank look on the clerk's face when the cash register jams and he has to give you change from a dollar and work it out for himself. Why would you think he grasps concepts like deaths per capita? Earlier this week, Rush mentioned an international poll by Kext which reports that a majority of Americans think the Chinese coronavirus has killed 9% of the US population. That would be just under 30 million people. A majority of Germans think it's killed 3% of Germany's population, which sounds saner, but which is statistically even further out of whack because Germany's done almost better than anyone in keeping this thing in check. When a hostile foreign power kills 150,000 of your citizens through its lies and manipulations. That's serious. When a hostile foreign power kills 150,000 of your citizens and you don't take it seriously, that's fatal. I mean, if this isn't serious, what is? Escape the quarantine by delving into fantastic fiction chosen and read by Mark Stein himself in Stein's Tales for Our Time. Thrillers, mysteries, science fiction, romance, tales that transcend genre, everything from classics to titles hidden in the upper shelves. Mark Stein Club members can listen to the full catalog of nearly three dozen Tales for Our Time. Hear them all by going to www.steinonline.com tfot. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. The Cambridge Professor of Post-Colonial Theory, Gender, Marxism and Critical Race Studies, Priyamvada Gopal, recently tweeted, White lives don't matter and abolish whiteness, as a result of which she got promoted at Cambridge uh, after explaining that uh, those tweets were, quote, very clearly speaking to a structure and ideology, not about people. It's rather harder to make the same claim about her remark last year, that she has to fight very hard the urge to, quote, kneecap white men. So in these times when post-colonial theory professors at Oxbridge like to talk about kneecapping their enemies, I thought we'd have a poem about uh, apparently peaceable persons nevertheless desiring the death and destruction 
uh, of others. John Betjeman was a very popular poet laureate in Britain, indeed a celebrity poet, which was rare then and rarer now. I had a slight acquaintanceship with Sir John, but knew very well his uh, missus, uh, Penelope Betjeman, who was so fond of her horse Moti that Lord Berners used to let her bring him into the drawing room for tea with them. Um, anyway, uh, Penelope and her husband became estranged after her conversion to Catholicism and his legover activities, but notwithstanding their separation, whenever I went round to see Penny Betch at her, his their home in Chelsea, about half the time Sir John would be there, so they were very evidently amicably uh, estranged, and uh, that's when I'd have occasional conversations with him about his poetry. Penelope died in her beloved India, where her dad had been commander-in-chief of the Indian Army, and uh, she had spent her girlhood. She was in her late 70s, leading a group of riders on a horseback tour of the Himalayas, uh, and just suddenly fell dead. And I think of her quite a bit, actually, often in connection with the age of one's friend's children. She was always astonished to discover that people she thought of as eight or nine were pushing middle age and now governor of the Turks and Caicos. And I can never quite get that. <laughs> and uh, now I do. Anyway, this is one of her husband's most famous poems, and some of you will be familiar with an oft-retailed line of mine, when I'm asked about transgender bathrooms or Confederate generals or the racism of Eskimo pie, and I say, this is what we'll be talking about when the Mullers nuke us. And uh, we all laugh, and then I think, what am I really saying there? Do I actually want the Mullers to nuke us? Or more likely, the Chinese do their EMP attack uh, and plunge us back to the mid-19th century, but with a population of whinging pyjama boys, feminist harridans, and trans-starpo nutters who've managed to lose all the skills we took for granted in the mid-19th century, like how to shingle a roof. Uh, and I don't really relish that situation, but I can understand increasingly a despair with the age that leads one to welcome total devastation. Slough is a nondescript town near Windsor in Berkshire, and in the 1930s it became rather suddenly the home for factories that would be all too necessary in the coming World War. And with factories come housing estates. And suddenly a town and its environ are utterly transformed. There is a fair amount of snobbery toward the lower middle class here, remarkable for a poet whose parents as Penelope's mum and dad complained, were in trade. But almost as soon as he'd written and published this poem, Betjeman felt bad about surrendering to the dark urge to rain down destruction on a modernity he loathed, especially after the bombs did actually start to fall on Slough a couple of years later, thanks to the Luftwaffe. On his centenary in 2006, their daughter, Candida Lysett Green, apologised to the people of Slough and said that her father bitterly regretted writing this poem, and she presented the town with a collection of her father's poetry inscribed with the improbable words, We Love Slough. First published in 1937 in the collection Continual Dew by John Betjeman, Slough. Come friendly bombs and fall on slough. 
It isn't fit for humans now. There isn't grass to graze a cow. Swarm over, death. Come, bombs, and blow to smithereens. Those air-conditioned bright canteens. Tin fruit, tin meat, tin milk, tin beans, tin mines, tinned breath. Mess up the mess they call a town, a house for 97 down, and once a week a half a crown for 20 years. And get that man with double chin, who'll always cheat and always win, who washes his repulsive skin in women's tears. And smash his desk of polished oak, and smash his hand so used to stroke, and stop his boring dirty joke and make him yell. But spare the bold young clerks who add the profits of the stinking cad. It's not their fault that they are mad. They've tasted hell. It's not their fault they do not know the bird song from the radio. It's not their fault they often go to Maidenhead and talk of sport and makes of cars in various bogus Tudor bars and then look up and see the stars but belch instead. In labour-saving homes with care, their wives frizz out peroxide hair and dry it in synthetic air and paint their nails. Come friendly bombs and fall on slough to get it ready for the plough. The cabbages are coming now. The earth exhales. A poem from me to you by John Betjeman, Slough, with that great last line, the earth exhales. The snobbery about mock Tudor pubs and peroxide hair is present in a lot of the leths blather about white privilege and Karens and Beckys and all the rest of it. Class condescension underpins the media's loathing of half the electorate. But as to the rest... The call to rain down Armageddon. Those of us prone to such thoughts must not surrender to despair, to the belief that all is now so wrecked that only total obliteration from the skies can correct the situation. Still, still I confess there are times when I feel awfully sympathetic to Betjeman's scenario. I shall forbear to name any municipalities. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Walt Trimmer, a Mark Stein Club member from the same state as that roaring transgender roller babe at the top of the show. Uh, Walt writes, Mark, I agree with you about Trump's poor political handling of Chicom 19 and the impact it will likely have in the highly prized urban women demographic. I think actually Walt, urban women are more or less uh, lost to the Republicans. It's uh, suburban women, suburban women. That's the, that's the battlefield to play for. Uh, Walt continues, there will be some offset with the law and order issue in the key electoral college states, but I will be putting my money on the horse named voter fraud. The Dems were complacent in 2016, believing all the polls that Hillary was ahead especially in the key state. Yeah, uh, that actually is the key difference there, Walt. In 2016, uh, <laughs> they were so complacent, they thought they could win honestly. They're not going to make that mistake again, uh, which is exactly what Walt says. They won't make that mistake this time. While there may be an enthusiasm gap for Biden, the rabid de 
MPs are in a fury and ballot boxes are going to be stuffed as soon as they know old Joe's VP pick. Vote by mail, which I am familiar with here in the People's Republic of Oregon. Illegal alien motor voter registration, convicts voting, the usual dead rising the whole nine yards. Mark, this is where you are wrong about the long transition period between the election and inauguration being an anachronism, the votes will not even be fully counted, let alone recounted, before January the 20th, 2021. We will have to see what it looks like when the presidency is stolen in so open a manner. Will the Republicans rise up in righteous indignation? Will Trump leave office? Will there be martial law? Stand by. Oh, wow. Uh, I think you're right about voter fraud, Walt. Uh, my state, with paper ballots counted by elderly ladies in school gyms, has more honest elections than almost anywhere else in America. Nevertheless, it has a handful of college towns. And last time around, Trump and Kelly Ayot, if you remember... Uh, our uh, former Republican senator. Trump and Kelly Ayotte lost narrowly because of voter fraud in those towns. Uh, this time, who knows? Uh, the Democrats have devised a scenario that works to Biden's advantage. It keeps him in the basement until uh, the morning of November the 3rd. And to Trump's disadvantage, it keeps Trump away from voters and in the hands of people like his son-in-law, who don't believe in Trumpism and policy, and therefore can't come up with any themes that can sell it. This is the difference. This is a critical difference between Trump running as an incumbent uh, and as the outsider four years ago. So on November the 3rd, the polls have to be wronger, wronger than they've ever been in history. The counting is to be more honest than it's ever been. And Google, Twitter, Facebook et al. would have to be more hands-off about flagging this and that than they've ever been. It's a lot to bet on. Here's the big thing. The permanent state wants to teach the voters a lesson to ensure that they get the message good and hard that 2016 is never going to happen again. They're serious about that. And on this first weekend of August, a lot of key pieces are being moved into place. Mark Stein's Last Call. Herman Cain is not the only victim of the Chinese coronavirus. Far from it, around the world, the cemeteries are home to two-thirds of a million people who would otherwise still be alive or have died of something else. Death is the great leveller, and Chairman Xi's gift to the planet afflicts saints and sinners alike. Último momento. Yo le traje un arroz con leche porque me dijo que tenía ganas de comer arroz con leche. Yo se lo me levanté a hacerse y se lo hice. That's the distraught widow of the Honduran journalist David Romero Elner declaring that her husband died not from the COVID but from the corruption of JOH. That's Juan Orlando Hernandez, the Honduran president, for whom Mr. Romero was an inconvenience. 
Well, it's a theory. David Romero was a former liberal congressman, leader of the revolutionary left movement, a confidant of several Honduran presidents, and a convicted rapist. In February 2002, rumors began circulating in Honduran political circles that Romero had raped his own daughter at his birthday party. She subsequently testified that he had been sexually abusing her since the age of 10, to which his aides responded that, well, she really enjoyed it. In the end, Romero pleaded guilty to raping his daughter, went to jail, and then came out and resumed his political and media career as if nothing had happened. Then he fell afoul of the law again, being found guilty of defaming the prosecutor at his rape trial. Last year, he was on air at Globo TV in the middle of his show when there came a banging at the door. Estamos aquí en Radio Globo en este momento nos vienen a capturar. Están rompiendo las puertas, escuchen ustedes. Última hora están rompiendo las puertas en este momento para venir a capturarme en este momento. Óigase bien, escuchen ustedes cómo están rompiendo las puertas los militares La policía para venirnos a capturar por órdenes de Juan Orlando Hernández. Si tenemos, si tenemos un micrófono en este momento, Ronald, o si se puede escuchar, por favor. It was the Honduran National Police busting in to arrest him and take him back to start a new prison term. Están tratando de abrirla por la fuerza. Ustedes pueden escuchar en este momento. Aquí nos encontramos nosotros con Don David Romero. When the COVID came along a few months back, the Honduran prison system was pretty comprehensively infected, and his friends and family asked for him to be released, but his political influence was not what it was, and he remained behind bars to be fatally infected. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 64, a political power player and convicted rapist of his own child, David Romero Elner. At the time of his death, Perence Shiri was Zimbabwe's Minister of Lands, Agriculture and Rural Resettlement. Before that, he was for 25 years the commander of Zimbabwe's Air Force, retiring in 2018 as Air Chief Marshal. If you're wondering how he survived in the somewhat mercurial political playpen presided over by Robert Mugabe, well, he had the good fortune to be Mr. Mugabe's cousin, although that didn't prevent him joining other senior military commanders to oust the old crocodile uh, when Mugabe started reading out the wrong speeches in Parliament and whatnot. Tichwana Zindoga of Harari's Review and Mail assesses his legacy. Um, uh, if you followed the conversations that uh, took place uh, on the public platforms on Twitter, on Facebook and so forth, you get a sense that uh, here is a man that had a contested legacy, uh, you know, which is almost a function of uh, the polarized uh, nature of our politics in Zimbabwe uh, along political and ethnic lines. A contested legacy contested legacy. Well, that's one way of putting it. 
In fact, Perrin's Shiri was a mass murderer who slaughtered thousands and tortured even more. He was born big boy Samson Chikarima, and in the early 80s, just a year or two after Zimbabwean independence from Britain, no boy was bigger than big boy in Matabele land. Perrin's Shiri commanded the notorious 5th Brigade, which determined to remind the Ndebele that the white man was no longer boss. This was a state run by the Shona tribe in which the Matabele lands in Debeli were an irrelevant and subordinate minority. Parents Shiri called himself Black Jesus, by which he meant that he could, quote, determine your life like Jesus Christ. He could heal you, raise you from the dead, or just leave you in your grave. This uh, shows an imperfect understanding of Christianity, but as an assessment of his rule in Madabili land was quite accurate. Nevertheless, London decided to invite the chief butcher of the 5th Brigade to further his skills at the Royal College of Defence Studies. General Sir Edward Jones, head of the UK's military training team in Zimbabwe during the 1980s. I think I'm right in saying that he was the first officer from the ZNA to go to the Royal College of Defence Studies. Um, and we had him down here for lunch one day because I felt it was, you know, I wanted to hear the news from home, so to speak. Um, and he came down here. Uh, we had a most enjoyable Sunday lunch and he charmed our other guests. Do you know what the Ndebele called him? No. Black Jesus. I'm sure. Because he was the bringer of divine retribution. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Um, they remember him as a war criminal. And yes. I'm just, I'm just wondering if you feel any unease about the kind of welcome he was given in this country, not just by yourself, but by the, the fact that he was he was brought to the, uh, the Defence Studies College. Well, I, I think that all of these things, um, it's very easy uh, to, to, to question these sorts of things, but undoubtedly he was the man who was going to be important in Zimbabwe, and I think it was important that we should influence him positively in so far as we could. So, a mass murderer, but a charming lunch companion, and a great survivor in Zimbabwean politics until Tuesday, when he went into hospital and came out by the handles the following day. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 65, Minister of Agriculture, Air Chief Marshal, and a man soaked in the blood of the Ndebele people, Parents Shiri. We can't devote this last call solely to mass murderers and rapists of their daughters, so here's Air Chief Marshal Shiri's fellow airman, Steve de Paisler. Eight decades ago, before there was a formal United States Air Force, Colonel de Paisler signed on as a private and became the only American known to have served in the following four wars. Colonel Steve de Paisler enlisted in the Army Air Corps in the 1940 draft. He served in World War II, the Korean War, the French Indochina War, and Vietnam. That's 38 years of active service. Yes, I had a tremendous military career. Yes, I got all involved. Uh, yes, I was with the CIA, uh, covert and overt operations, and yes, all these things. A slightly coy reference amid all the covert CIA business there to, well, not a war, it never quite got that far, the Bay of Pigs. 
but after four decades of service, Colonel de Peisler then gave the Air Force he loved another four decades of service in the retiree's office at Louisiana's Barksdale AFB, helping veterans, their widows. In fact, he was the director of the retiree's office until well into his late 90s. Some people served the military for four years, some 20. But Barksdale has one who has diligently served for more than 70 years. Well, my job is very simple. I am the director of retired activities at Barksdale Air Force Base. We help X numbers of military retired, and we also help some of your active duty people. Colonel DePeisler has been the director since 1988 and has helped countless military members since. From helping retired veterans understand their entitlements to commissioning the local veterans home and heading the annual POW MIA luncheon. Even after turning 100 years old last year, he continued coming to work at Barksdale, determined to stick to his goal of providing meaningful help to at least one veteran every day, even though by then all the veterans were decades younger than him, as was the Air Force. The USAF is 73 years old. A 101-year-old colonel still wandering around the base unsurprisingly confused some of the younger lads. He claimed to have held 20 other ranks en route to his final eminence, and people said the Air Force doesn't have 20 ranks. And then he'd explained that in World War II there were six grades that no longer exist, and he held three of them. What do you do with a general when he stops being a general, wrote Irving Berlin in the film White Christmas. What do you do with a colonel when he stops being a colonel? Colonel de Peisler never had any difficulty figuring that one out. Bottom line is, I've helped more people volunteering than I ever did in the service. The list of things he's done for the retirees is just unbelievable. My goal, my goal is to keep working. That's my goal. And every day is a challenge. But uh, I would say that 95 is about it. And then find somebody to take my job. He outlasted Hitler and Hirohito, Kim and Castro, Mao and Ho Chi Minh, but not COVID-19. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus just six days after his 101st birthday and after eight decades of service to the United States Air Force, Colonel Steve DePeisler. We will have a last call special for you on Sunday. Hope you'll tune in for that. I'll be back this evening with our latest tale for our time. Thank you for your many kind comments. Uh, it's my contemporary version of The Prisoner of Zender, in which this time round the Ruritanian has to sub for the English fellow. Kathy Shadle's movie date is on for Saturday, as is our song for Sunday. Oh, one more for whom the bell tolls. Our friend Tal Backman bad a very touching farewell to peter green of fleetwood mac uh, here at stein online uh, peter green the composer of albatross about which uh, i have a little bit to say but i'll save that for another day uh, but one great 1960s instrumental deserves another if you think big boy is an unusual christian name how about bent bent fabric well, actually, Bent Fabricius is how he was born. What sort of a name is Bent Fabric? Well, it's Danish. Uh, Mr. Fabric died on Tuesday at the age of 95. He was a Danish jazz pianist. And in 1961, he wrote an instrumental called Umkring et Fliegel, 
which means something rather boring, like uh, Round the Piano. But the music wasn't boring at all, and under a much-improved title, Bent Fabric's recording became a global phenomenon. Number seven in America, number four in Canada, number one in Australia, and beyond the hit parade, it was just one of those tunes that was everywhere in the 60s. From ice cream fans... Uh, to the accompaniment for a, a wonderful silent comedy TV sketch with Judy Garland and Andy Williams. Bent Fabrics Alley Cat. instrumental this big somebody always figures hey let's put a lyric to it so he goes on the prowl each night like an alley cat looking for some new delight like an if you want to know where it goes from there, buy my cat album, Feline Groovy, with Jeff Eels from our Christmas show, doing his best bent fabric bent over the piano. I was honoured to have put a few last royalty checks in Mr. Fabric's bank account. It's a great work. Have a groovy weekend, have a groovy long weekend in about half of Canada. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.